Well, let's turn in our Bible, shall we, to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 3. And as you're turning to Matthew 3, it won't take you long, but as you're turning there, let me just acknowledge the obvious. It's been a busy weekend in our community, hasn't it? Have you noticed that? Most of you know about the, um, the, the gathering of the North Idaho Pride Alliance uh, in downtown Coeur d'Alene yesterday. You know about the, the, the arrests that were made uh, somehow related to that. All of it um, a celebration of depravity, really. And I mention that uh, not to be uh, gratuitous, but just to uh, acknowledge that a lot of you are new to our community, and, and it's, a, it's a reminder, isn't it, that if you thought that in coming here, the, the, the wave of immorality that's uh, uh, sweeping across the land somehow won't, won't touch this place, that's not so. The people of this world are perishing and in need of Jesus Christ. What you may not know is that a handful of religious organizations, apostate churches really, were supporters of yesterday's um, gay pride events. In fact, the event was uh, begun with a prayer of affirmation of, of various uh, immoral lifestyles. And um, I want us to just think about what our neighbors see. Think about our mission field. What do our neighbors see as they just take in all of this stuff going on? They see, on one hand, a religious viewpoint that embraces immorality of the worst kind. And our neighbors also see, on the other hand, a Christian viewpoint that opposes such immorality. And there's the possibility that they're confused by this. Why is it, they wonder, that those who call themselves Christians have such drastically opposing views of the life God calls his people to live, let alone the life that God affirms? Why is that? Well, we're going to see this morning, I trust, in Matthew chapter 3, that God does not affirm nor tolerate the sinful lives of men and women made in his image. That, that is not the gospel. Uh, Jesus has come into this world to save his people from their sins, not affirm them in their sins. The gospel of the kingdom declared by the king's herald, John the Baptist, is simply this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Don't delay Change direction. The king is here. Prepare your heart to receive him by repentance. And so John the Baptist and also our king Jesus give the gospel call in the same way. All people all over God's world are called to repent. The king of kings has come. And he has come to save people from their sins, not leave them in their sins. And he's come to judge his enemies. And we'll see in Matthew 3 that religion without repentance offers no safety from the wrath of God. Don't believe that, though it is a prevailing false gospel in our day. Turns out it's not a new thing. 
A gospel without repentance is a false gospel. But I don't want you to take my word for it. Let's just turn to the scriptures now. Matthew 3 and verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Matthew has already announced to us in his gospel, hasn't he, in in chapter 1, that the the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the the coming of the, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of God into this world is nothing less than a new genesis, a new beginning. God is reclaiming his world. He's reclaiming his people for his glory. And we saw in in Matthew chapter 2, this this new genesis requires a new exodus, doesn't it? Christ has come to destroy the works of the devil. He's come to break the chains that bind his people to the Egypt of their sin and their separation from God. And so here now in Matthew 3, it ought not to surprise us that we are in the wilderness, In the wilderness. Out of Egypt I called my son, says God. And where does God's Israel go in its exodus from Egypt into the wilderness? So it's in the wilderness that we meet John the baptizer. And I want you to notice with me that phrase in verse 1, in those days. Because in just those three words, in those days, we are fast forwarded from Jesus' um, birth and his early years in the opening chapters uh, through some 30 years of Jesus' life in Galilee, in Nazareth. Uh, Now we have come to the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. The rest of Matthew's gospel will deal with what happened in those days when the man who is God, Jesus, walked this earth, divinity enclosed in humanity to live 
and to die and to rise again for his people. So a herald comes to announce the king's arrival. John the Baptist, get ready, says John. The king is coming to save his people from his sins. He's come to restore them to God. And, and, and this Judean wilderness is a, is a, is a desolate, life-threatening place. What, what can survive, let alone thrive, in such a place? I remember a few years ago, uh, when Pam and I came back from um, the trip to Israel that we were blessed with, um, some of you who were at our little report that we gave laughed with us because we couldn't stop talking about how hot it was. Now, we'd both experienced heat before. That's not a novelty. But I, I had never experienced a suffocating uh, place like the Judean desert, the, the, the wilderness. It's absolutely astonishing how... Um, inhospitable the place is. Um, what a fitting symbol this is for the dry, desolate, suffocating position of people alienated from God, living apart from his grace and his saving goodness. But it's to such people that the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed by John the Baptist. How strange. This is not in, in, in Jerusalem outside the temple. This is, this is out in the desert, out in the sticks, if you will. What, what do we say to people lost in their depravity and dead toward God? What do we say, do you suppose, to the drag queens who danced in the park yesterday, who want to read books to our children in the public libraries, those who desire to marry their same-sex partners, or as I saw in the news yesterday in India, someone who just wants to marry themselves. Did you see that? Just when you think there can't be a new twist on this stuff... Now, now you can marry yourself. I don't know how a divorce would work, but, but there you have it. Do you know what we say to such people? The same thing God says to people here today. The same people here today who imagine that their sin doesn't matter to God because it's all cleaned up and housed in religion. And so we say to such people what God says to us, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change direction. Get under God's gracious rule. Be done with self-rule. How many of you know unregenerate self-rule leads you straight to God's hellish wrath? God's promised king has come, says John. This king is Jesus. There is no other king. So the gospel invitation is to bow to him, to leave your sin and live in allegiance to him. Enter his kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom, friends, is a call to conversion. There is no other gospel. Now, what do I mean by conversion? Well, it's another name for repentance, isn't it? To repent is to be converted from one who loves sin to one who loves God. Do you love God? Has this miracle of grace happened in your life? 
To repent is to be converted from one who loves sin to one who wages war against indwelling sin. Are you at war with the remaining sin in your life? In the power of the Spirit? Or are you indifferent to sin's presence within you? Because after all, your sin looks a lot cleaner than their sin down there in the park yesterday. The king's herald, John, is telling these first century Jews to prepare for their promised Messiah, their king and ours. And I want us to notice that John looks nothing like we would expect a king's herald to look like. He he launches the kingdom's public relations campaign out in the desert, in the burning, blistering Judean heat. And he's not wearing fine clothes like you would expect a herald to wear. He's wearing the, the simple clothing of the poor. And his diet is not the, the, the typical diet of, of someone whose role is, is so regal. He eats bugs and honey. And, and, and the point of us knowing that, friends, is not so that we would think, well, I guess, I guess we're supposed to wear camel's hair clothing. It's very hard to find in our area. Or, or we're supposed to, I guess we should eat bugs and honey if you really want. No, that's not, that can't be what that's about. The king's herald has not, to, not come to impress anybody with his appearance. He's not come to tickle anyone's ears with what they just want to hear. He comes to loudly declare the coming of the king of kings, and he calls all people to prepare the way of their hearts for the king. How do you do that? Repent. Repent. Jesus would say of John the Baptist, here is the greatest man who has ever lived. John? Camel clothes? Bug-eating John? The greatest man who's ever lived? Why? What, 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 a, what, what a reminder to us that greatness in God's economy is not measured by earthly position. It's not measured by earthly prosperity. It's not measured by appearance, popularity. Greatness in the kingdom is measured by simple loyal service to the king. He must increase, John will say. I must decrease. That's greatness in God's kingdom. Now, John is extraordinary, Matthew tells us, because he is the one promised by God in ages past. Look at verse 3. We're making tremendous progress, aren't we? He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John is the the, the last of the Old Testament prophets. And so Matthew 3.3 is an echo, isn't it, of Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, The rough places smooth 
The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here is yet another reminder early on in Matthew's gospel that when God says he's going to do something, he does it. And what a stark reminder this is for us. The kingdom promised by God looks differently than most people expect, doesn't it? The kingdom is not comprised of those still happy in their sins, though religious. The kingdom is not comprised of those still living in bondage to depravity and glad for it or indifferent to it. No, the king's people are being lifted out of the deep valley of their alienation from God. The tall mountains of their rebellion against God have been brought low. Are you hearing this? And the kingdom grows differently than most people expect. The kingdom, listen, some of you need to hear this. The kingdom does not grow by making sure we have a larger and louder crowd than the other guys have. The kingdom does not grow by us getting all mad and heaven forbid violent and unlovely in the face of evil. Does not the scripture say the wrath of man will not accomplish the righteousness of God? If God's people are doing something that they imagine they're doing for the kingdom and it's mostly about anger and getting even and putting them in their place, you're not doing God's work. Now that's extra. That's not even part of the sermon. (laughs) In fact, if you want to pray towards something, there was a comparatively small band of God's people downtown yesterday, not only from this church, but also from other fellowships, preaching Christ clearly, graciously, in love. Let's, let's pray for fruit from those gospel labors. See, the kingdom doesn't grow the way some people think it's going to grow. It's not to do with politics. The Puritan Thomas Watson says this. He says, in Adam we suffer shipwreck and repentance is the only plank left us after shipwreck to swim to heaven. Again, a gospel that doesn't include repentance is a false gospel. And this is really where the sermon starts, okay? If repentance is the plank that gives rescue, then we better make sure we know what repentance is. What is this plank that we might grab for it and find rescue from the sea of God's wrath for sin? What we need to know is that repentance is not merely sorrow for sin. Though it involves sorrow, for sure. The scripture speaks of godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Okay, So the sorrow itself is not repentance. But by God's grace, godly sorrow leads to repentance. Um, Psalm 51, um, you know, 
David cries out uh, in light of his conscience uh, being brought to an end of itself following his sin with Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned. And so repentance isn't just that sorrow that comes from consequence. Some sin has consequence. Some of you, though, know the experience of living in sin and not suffering a consequence. Repentance then involves emotion, but it is not merely emotional regret. I give you Judas Iscariot as exhibit A. Judas felt horribly for betraying Jesus. That's probably an understatement. Feeling horrible in and of itself is not repentance. You know, some people preach the gospel that way. God just wants you to feel horrible. As long as you feel horrible, our job is done. Judas punished himself, he felt so horrible. How many of you know self-punishment is not repentance? And self-punishment does not save you. Your punishment could never atone for your sin. Judas was depressed to see in himself the son of perdition. Feeling bad about yourself is not repentance. Genuine conversion is marked by a decisive change in life direction. It's the godly sorrow that leads to repentance, meaning a change in direction. The prevailing false gospel in our culture today is you just add Jesus to whatever you got going on in your life and you don't change anything. You just become one of the Jesus people and you're good to go. And it inoculates from a human perspective many, many people against the gospel. Jesus is my co-pilot. What more could I need? To be converted is to turn away from sin to a life of obedience that flows from trust in God. Do you see why repentance itself must be a work of the Spirit? You and I don't have that in us by nature to repent. It is a God-enabled, God-given grace. In, in, in his commentary on Matthew's gospel, um, R.T. France says, repentance is not merely something we make a show of to avoid God's wrath. Repentance involves contrition of soul, a deep remorse for having offended God that manifests itself in a change of direction. And, and if you could see the looks on some of your faces right now, your looks say this. What are you belaboring this for? When are you going to get off this stuff? When Jesus preaches the gospel, as it's given to us in Matthew's gospel, you know what he's going to say? Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice with me in verse 5 that we're told this, this good news that repentance is possible, that cleansing is possible, that right standing with the king is offered. This good news that's proclaimed by John, though unexpected, is nonetheless attractive to those whom God has called. Do you notice that? So all of these people, then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. This is not how you and I would launch a gospel campaign, probably, in our community. But John does. And what does God do? He, says a whole, he sends a whole bunch of his people who need to hear the good news. The king has come. Make your heart ready for him. Well, how do I do that? Repent. John has done nothing to make himself winsome to the crowd. May God give us grace to preach the gospel that way. It's not a bait and switch. If we just build a beautiful enough building, we'll get people to want to come here because it's a cool looking place and then we'll sneak the gospel in on them. Do you know what that is? That's stupid. (laughs) John has done nothing to dilute the stark reality of the king's invitation to conversion. Repent, he says. And yet the kingdom grows in response to the good news because repentance itself is a work of God. How many of you know God is actually saving people? Why did some of our folks go downtown yesterday to City Park? Not to, not to make the news by, by being foolish, but to preach Christ. Why? Because they believe God is actually saving people. Do you? Paul says to Timothy that in humility, we're to correct those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. We, 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 we preach a gospel of repentance, in other words, with great confidence, not in ourselves, but in the power of God. The, the, the gospel is the very power of God to save. Amen? The God who calls his people to repent enables his people's repentance. Look at, just look at the proof again, verse 5 and 6. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sin. John is called John the Baptist because he baptized so many people. John's baptism, though, listen, was preparatory. Different from ours, in a sense, in that repentance as preached by John, would soon be accompanied by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. Acts 20, 21 says, the gospel rightly proclaimed is a call to repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I can't save myself by something I do. 
Salvation is of the Lord, the scripture says. How does he save? He enables repentance and he credits to me the very righteous life that he's lived on planet earth. And he applies to me the atonement accomplished with his shed blood on that cross. And he imparts to me the very life, the very eternal life that he demonstrated in power in coming up out of that tomb. Amen? Amen. This is the gospel. And there is no other gospel. I want us to notice, though, Something very important about Matthew's description of these events. Notice that baptism follows repentance. Baptism follows repentance. Why focus on this? Because we're a church that obeys the Lord by baptizing people, right? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No person was baptized by John absent repentance. No person was baptized by Jesus' disciples Absent repentance. So today, no person ought to be baptized by Hayden Bible Church absent repentance. Uh, Do you realize what you get if you're baptized without repentance? You get wet. That's it. You get wet. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of righteousness. Not our own, Christ's, but this imputed righteousness by the power of the Spirit becomes an imparted righteousness. God changes his people. He saves his people from their sins. You still with me? What is the kingdom of heaven anyway? It's going to come up again and again and again in this study. The kingdom of heaven is the reign of God in the hearts and minds of people who are loyal to the king. So so the church and the kingdom overlap in that sense, don't they? Is, 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 Is Jesus king in your heart? Has has there been a work of the Spirit in your life that has led you to repent of your sin and trust in Christ in such a way that King Jesus sits on the throne of your heart, your life? That's what it is to be a kingdom person. It's all of grace, and yet it's happened to you, hasn't it? Praise God. This baptism, this spiritual cleansing, is, is an outward cleansing that pictures the inward cleansing that God himself accomplishes in the lives of his repentant people. Uh, this is made very, very clear in, in, in verse 7. You still with me? Yeah. Okay. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers... Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, I would submit to you that that's not normally what you hear at a baptism. (laughs) That's kind of off script, isn't it? Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Luke's account of this remembers John calling 
the multitudes themselves, this brood of vipers, serpents going through the motions to slither away from the fire of God's wrath. And some people see baptism that way. This is just something that I do so that I'm good with God. No, 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 no. You, you, you just got wet. You just got wet. Don't, don't be deceived. But notice that Matthew's focus is on the overtly religious people. Don't miss that. The Pharisees, who were they? We, we know about them. Teachers of the law. Um, very strict legalists, right? Uh, don't, uh, don't, don't play cards and, and don't dance and, and, and don't date girls that do. You know, that sort of thing. Um, especially they were legalistic when it came to following their own embellishments of God's law. What did Jesus call the Pharisees? Whitewashed tombs. Boy, that's a shot across the bow, isn't it? Whitewashed tombs? Jesus says that to people who walked around Palestine, listening to everybody say, there go the religious people. If anybody's tight with God, it's those guys. Pious on the outside, rotten, with self-worship on the inside. They, they were the, the, the proud religious people. What about the Sadducees? Also religious. Nonetheless, they denied the supernatural. They, did, they didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in the, the afterlife. They, certainly not hell, not heaven. Um, they were, they were the, the, the pragmatic religious people. Religious to the point that it worked for them. I wonder if that still happens today. Of course it does. We might call them the liberal religious people. And so here Matthew says, look, you got the religious right-wingers and you got the religious left-wingers and they're coming to be baptized. How interesting. And, and, and John's response is what? Well, he, he knows a snake in the desert when he sees one, doesn't he? Satan is as a serpent. And here, here come a whole tangle of his offspring wanting to be baptized, wanting to get in on the kingdom stuff because that's what's popular right now. That's what everybody's doing. That's how they're going to stay credible in the eyes of their community. And I, and I want you to notice with me that both the religious proud and the religious pragmatic, though they're all dressed up in their religion, are denied baptism. In, in John's vernacular, you could say they're denied access to the kingdom. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Well, what's he talking about? God's indignation rests upon all unregenerate men and women. All people by nature, religious people and irreligious people. William Hendrickson in his commentary on Matthew's gospel, paraphrases John words, John's words to the religious leaders this way. He says, it's as if they're saying, who deluded you into thinking that it's possible to evade God? It's not possible to evade God through religious exercises. Who encouraged you to try to gain entrance into his kingdom by getting wet? 
not really getting right with God through repentance and faith. Oh, but we're religious people. In fact, we're the very descendants of Abraham. Nobody's been going to church longer than we have. Look at verse 8. Well, then bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Don't don't miss the metaphor. Simple as it is. A a fake tree bears no fruit. A genuine converted person bears the fruit of repentance. How is this so? Because it's a work of God. It's not a work of man. It's a work of God. And so it is always so. What's the fruit of repentance? Well, it's it's Christ-likeness, isn't it? Or in Old Testament terms, we might say God-likeness. Listen to the gospel according to Isaiah. You remember our time in the Old Testament. The gospel's all over the Bible, isn't it? Listen to the gospel according to Isaiah. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now we know the meat in the sandwich of those verses, don't we? We know, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Praise God. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. How interesting it is. To read that truth in its context. The context is repentance. How can the stain of my sins be made white as snow? Only by the blood of Christ my King. I can't do that. And to know him is to be changed by him from the inside out. In in Luke's account of this part of John the Baptist's ministry... Uh, there is an elaboration on what fruits, of, fruits worthy of repentance include. So some people are denied baptism, and they say to John, well, what shall we do then? And he answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. In other words, repentance looks like change. 
When God catches his fish, he cleans them. A friend of mine taught me that little ditty, and it stuck. The gospel, listen, does not leave us as it found us. Again, John's baptism was preparatory in nature. It was not quite the same as the baptisms that we will do, Lord willing, here soon. John's baptism points to the baptism called upon by Jesus. Look look at the next verse, verse 11. John says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Here is John, whom Jesus called the greatest man ever, saying in light of who Jesus is, I'm not worthy to be his slave. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. Repent, says John, because you need the one who can baptize you with the Holy Spirit, the one who can change your heart, make you born again, turn that stony heart into a heart of flesh that actually loves God. The the one who baptizes in this way is the king, Jesus. The man who has not come simply to announce salvation, the one who has come in power to accomplish salvation for his people. Praise God. Jesus will be immersed in the wrath of God on behalf of his people at Calvary, won't he? Jesus will taste death's sting, his body placed in a tomb, burn away. The sin in his people. And Jesus will taste death for his people. And, and this fire will be used to judge, to burn all the chaff away from the presence of God's world and God's people. So you need him now, John says, to baptize you with fire. Let him burn the chaff that's in your life right now so that something new will grow to the glory of God. How do you know if you're a saved person? You trust in Christ, you've repented of sin, and God is doing such a work in you that he is growing Christ-likeness in you. So don't miss John's message. And we're we're almost done here. There's only one of you crying, but I sense more. (laughs) John is saying the kingdom of heaven is beginning to assert itself. And don't miss this. It asserts itself in salvation and in judgment. In judgment. The king comes to do both. Remember Psalm 2? Anybody remember that? A little while ago? Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Find shelter in him. Even now, says John, his winnowing fan is in his hand, verse 12, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Listen, people do not go to hell because they're sinners. 
People don't go to hell because God doesn't love them. And people don't go to hell because their sins are worse than somebody else's sins. Sinners go to hell because they're impenitent, religious or not. Grace grants repentance and faith in Christ. Well, what do we do with all of this? Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Escape judgment by quitting your sins and laying hold on Jesus. And do it this very moment, for you may never have another opportunity to do it. We could end with that, I guess. The king asserts himself for the purpose of salvation, and so the message is what? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Listen, are you... A repentant person? Has that work of grace occurred in you? Then rejoice. You belong to the kingdom. By God's grace, has there been a a, a break with sin? However imperfect, perfect is heaven, right? But right now we're being sanctified. The Spirit is chipping away all the stuff that doesn't look like Jesus. Is that going on in you to the glory of God? Have you let go of any hope but Christ? Not your baptism, not your religion. Just the work of Christ who lived for you and shed his blood at Calvary for you, who rose again in the power of an endless life for you to impart his endless life to you. This Jesus So that might be one application. Here's another one. Let's declare the gospel rightly. A gospel without repentance is a false gospel. We have no business editing God's gospel. Perhaps a third application then would be that there are those among us, repentant people, Christ-trusting people who now need to be baptized, who now need to take this step of obedience to the Lord. Because it really would be an outward picture of what's happened inwardly in your life. And if that's the case, friend, don't delay. Let me know. Let one of the elders here know that it's time for you to be baptized. All right, that's it. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it cuts to our core in the best way. Lord, we thank you for your great love in Christ, that you love us so much that you don't tell us to just stay as we are and not worry about it. Lord, you've come to call us to repentance and faith. And I pray that by your spirit, you would enable repentance and faith among us today. Lord, we want to be a company of kingdom people. And for that, we need your work among us, Lord. So work among us now. And Lord, I pray that you find us faithful, clear proclaimers of your gospel. We ask you this, Lord, so that your kingdom will grow, 
and that we might best reflect you. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name.